episode 105. Okay, let's get this show on the road, gang. I'm Batman. This looks like a job for Superman. Gardner and Chris Honeywell. Hello and welcome to Two True Freaks. This is Comics Monthly Monday. What is this one? Number 18, I think? We're at number Something 17. Like is it 17? It's, we're still on the 7th. March is the 17th month. Oh, okay. I'm just totally out of touch. April is it's... when it turns 18. Legal. Oh, okay. It's the legal age of Two True Freaks. Right now we're still jailbait. Podcast <laughs> land. Sweet. <laughs> Well, in this exciting episode, we are going to do the first of our fast forwards about a saga of the swamp thing. Basically, what we're going to do, we're going to um, more we're than talk like up... the micro machines guy for the whole <laughs> yeah, episode. <laughs> we're going to more than double up. We're going to triple up on these because we've got nine issues left between where we're at right now and where the Alan Moore awesomeness starts. So. Rather than tackle like all nine at once, what we're going to do, we're going to tackle, we're going to tackle three issues at a time for the next three shows, and we're going to just get to the Alan Moore goodness. So I'm really excited about this. Speaking of which, I finally, well, maybe I shouldn't say this before it actually arrives in the mailbox, but I finally got Saga of the Swamp Thing number 20. I have been Yay. trying to get that for the longest time. That's the anatomy lesson, right? Uh, I don't think so. It's the first Alan Moore issue, but I don't it's, think it's the anatomy lesson. I could be wrong about that, though. I've never actually read number twenty. Whatever story is in that one, I haven't ever read it. And uh, it's all it's all like it's all lead up, lead up to the anatomy lesson. Yeah, I think that I think anatomy lesson is number twenty one. If I remember, I'm not really sure, but. Uh, but yeah, I've been after it forever. Finally got it. Five bucks. So I'm awesome. dying for it to actually get here in the mail because I'm worried about it. For $5, I'm like, I'm worried it's going to arrive and it's like chewed up by the dog yeah, or something. Somebody's wadded it up and stuck it in a tennis ball can and sent it to you. <laughs> I love eBay. Here you go. Yeah, exactly. Well, you know, it also has to survive my, my postman or my post person because they're not always, you know, you can write. You know, do not bend, do not fold, do not mutilate in like 27 different languages on yeah, there. Yeah, but you know, I've in a known some block and it'll still get fucking folded up and stuffed in my mailbox. I have some friends who are postmen and that sort of thing is just sort of a, cha- a dare and a challenge to them. Although, <laughs> I, you know, we're ripping on the post office, but I've had really, you know, I've been, I've been an eBay user buying and selling for years and 
actually the post office for all the slander it's gotten all my life when I started using it and I never would use it. When I started using it, I've had really good luck with it. I've had a few incidents, but I just like to say the U.S. Postal Service is pretty efficient and, and cheap for what it does, so I'm very happy with them. Don't sue us. We have no money. <laughs> No, I, I have been to it. It's really only until recently that I've, I've ever had any real problems with the uh, with the post office. And I'm not even sure it's their problem. But, yeah, the yeah. last couple of packages I've gotten from eBay. Been kind of uh, chewed up. Yeah, well, one of them was opened and a book was missing out of it. And then another one was just the package was just almost gone. I'm surprised that there weren't any books missing out of it. It was really surprising. So... I don't know what the hell happened with that. But they have I went the to post the, office has those new Homeland Security machines that they just put them in a bin and it just shreds everything in it. So I went to the post office, you know, not to complain, but just to bring it to somebody's attention that this had happened, and I got the standard, you know, kid behind the counter at Dairy Queen type yep. of, yeah, what the fuck do you want me to do about it kind yep. of thing. So that was disappointing, but hasn't happened since. So that's pretty cool. But anyway. We are going to talk some comics, and real quick before we get into uh, comics or anything else, I had something I wanted to talk about for just a moment. Now, forgive me if I repeat myself a little bit, because I know I talked a bit about this during episode 100, but a while back, I got a nice surprise package in the mail from our buddy uh, Tony Guagliardo, who goes by a mobile home on the forum, if the forum ever comes back, as we record this episode. Actually, I haven't checked today, so maybe it's back up, but the forum has been down for it's up. what? Like, is it's it up back today. up? It was up yesterday for a little while, then it went down again. It was up for like a brief moment, and I posted a couple little stupid things, and then it went down again. It was, it's up, it, I was on it this morning. Oh, cool. Well, good. I'm glad it's back up then. So, yeah, this is Mobile Home on the forum. He sent me some comics, and amongst the stuff that he sent me, and I haven't heard back from Tony since episode 100. I don't know if he heard me talking about him on that one or not. But I don't know if this was planned on his part because he heard me talk about this before or if it was just completely dumb luck on my part. But part of what he sent me in the last package is he sent me um, a series from Dynamite Entertainment. It was Buck Rogers issues 0 through 6. So basically the first seven issues of the series I finally got time to sit down and read them the other day, and man, I blew through them. This is a fantastic series. It was really, really good. Now, when when issue zero um, was solicited and came out, and I bought issue zero because I forget what service I was with at the time. I was either with DCB service or I might have just started Heroes Corner then. I'm not sure, but I'm I'm with Heroes Corner now. But anyway, when it was originally solicited, this book was um, a quarter cover price. So with their discount, it was something like 12 cents, I think. So I was like, shit, I can't pass up a comic for 12 cents. So I ordered it, thought it was fantastic. But, you know, by the time you order your book and then you actually get it in the mail, you know, if, if you don't keep on them, you know, if you don't follow up, then by the time I got issue zero... I think issue like three or something was out. So I'd already missed the rest of the story. So I was like, well, damn, that first issue was really, really good. You know, now I kind of wish I'd stuck with it. And then I just kind of put it out of my mind. It was one of those things. Well, well, you know, one of these days, if I luck into it, I'll, I'll check it out kind of thing. So I was really excited when, when I got these from, from Tony 
Well, anyway, I sat down, read them. Fantastic, man. It was really, really cool. The cool thing about it is it's one of these series where I think there's something for everybody. You know, if you're a fan of like old school Buck Rogers, the original stuff, then I think that there's a lot of homages to it. If you're a fan of like the Gil Gerard series, which I only have like the vaguest of recollections of that series, to be honest with you. I, I liked it as a kid, but I don't remember a whole lot of it. But there's a, a lot of nice little nods and asides, but it's not slaved to anything. It, it's its own continuity. It's It's doing its own take on it. But it's very respectful of what has come before, too. And there's a lot of homages and things like that. And the basic story, I don't want to give too much away about it, but the basic story of it is uh, Buck Rogers, he's this test pilot, and he's testing out um, a new spacecraft with a new um, drive system. It's like this gravity drive system. And the government you know, wants in on it. They basically want to seize his invention. And this takes place just a few years into our future. And then the government basically drafts him into service to use his new gravity device to try to go out. And something has happened on Mars where uh, there was some incident. And this scientist guy in his dying moments packaged up this like DNA Noah's Ark, basically, that had all this DNA samples and stuff. Basically, the blueprints for most life forms on earth as far as like mammals you know like uh what was it It was like dogs wolves um bears shit like that sends it out into space and the government's very concerned about this you know this arc package just kind of going out and leaving this solar system and god knows what's going to happen to it so they send buck out after it and when he engages his gravity drive, he's lost and that's it. And that's the last they know of him. So far as they know, he's dead. Well, then fast forward 500 years later and he doesn't realize any time has actually passed. And he comes out of his little warp thingy and crashes to earth. And now all of a sudden he's in the 25th century. And that's where the, the story really unfolds. Well, in the meantime, these nasty aliens have gotten a hold of that Noah's Ark package of, of DNA and they've created all these freaks out of it. So now you've got like freaks, bear, (laughs) these bear cyborg guys and shit like that. It sounds a little goofy, but it's really well written. It's very, very, it sounds, it sounds Buck Roger. It sounds like it's in, you know, I mean, do you want it to be, you know, gritty and realistic? (laughs) No, give me the freaks. That's that's the funny thing is it, it is, uh, I wouldn't, it's not like dark and gritty, but it is gritty as far as uh, the action. You know, there's there's some violence to it. There's some blood to it. Um, it doesn't pull punches. It's not, I wouldn't call it adult material necessarily, but it, it, it's got an edge to it. You know, it, it's not candy coated. And it's it's good science fiction. I, I would equate it to the, uh, the reimagined Battlestar Galactica. It, it feels a lot like that. It's like a reimagined Buck Rogers for, you know, for our generation. For, anyway, the, Rogers for the 21st century. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. And uh, the story, uh, or the series so far has been written by Scott Beatty, and uh, I think he's just doing a bang-up job. It's really, really intelli- intelligently written. It's easy to follow, and it's good, fun, in a, in a classic science fiction vein, but written with, like, a modern sensibility. And the first, um, well, issues 0 through 5 were illustrated by Carlos Raphael and uh, 
Yeah, Carlos Raphael. But then with issue six, they threw me a curve and they changed it. And it's Carlos Paul. And I didn't, you know, because the first name was Carlos. There's a lot of Carloses involved with this, by the way. There's a, It's also uh, colored by a Carlos, Carlos Lopez. Um, so I didn't realize at first that they'd actually changed it's the artist. by one. By Juan Carlos. Juan Carlos. <laughs> oh no, that's Juan Castro. Oh Juan Castro. Wait, no, no that's Will Castro. No, Will Carlos. It's not. Which one is it? I don't remember. <laughs> but uh, that was the only thing is uh, in the six issue. Now I don't know how long this this new artist stuck around. I know that they're beyond um, issue six currently. I don't know what, exactly what issue they're on. I'm going to try to track those issues down and get caught up entirely. But I thought the art was a little bit of a step down on the sixth issue. But the sixth issue was really kind of cool because by that point, the first story arc has been resolved and it's starting a new story. And this is the first time that Bucks really had some downtime to equate himself with his new Earth. You know, the the new time frame he's found himself in. So there's a really nice kind of Logan's Logan's Run-esque moment where he goes to see some of his old haunts and he goes to where the Lincoln Memorial was and there's really not much left. He's basically in a giant swamp that looks like Dagobah with this giant uh, Abraham Lincoln sitting on his chair. And that's about all that's left. It's really cool. And it really reminded me a lot of, uh, of that moment in Logan's run where they go to the Uh Lincoln Memorial. But uh, that's about all I want to say. I don't want to give a lot away because it's really got a very cool, a very intelligent story. I'm excited to see where it goes. And uh, if I can track down the rest of the issues and get caught up on this, I think I'm going to put this on my poll list, which I'm excited about because my poll list is down to bare bones at the moment. I'm really just, I'm getting a couple titles and a couple of trades and that's it. So I'm, I've been itching for something new that I can dig you know, really dig into and, and sink my teeth into. So I think this just might be the title. And uh, I know you, dude, I think that you would really, really like this because I know you're like me. You know, you like it, you know, your sci fi when it's really intelligently written. And this yeah. is very intelligently written. It's a hell of a lot of fun. Yeah, I might have to check it out. Yeah. If you, uh, if you, depending on what comic shops you go to or what, some comic shops were using that zero issue as a free giveaway, like an incentive. Um, cause I went to one not long ago, um, in the Atlanta area and they had a giant box of issue zero that they were just giving away. They for were just, yeah. Of. Yeah. If you, if you happen to chance across one, check it out and see what you think of it. Cause, uh, I dug it. Well, now for just a moment, let's get into some, uh, listener feedback. And we've been remiss about our listener feedback, but I promise we're going to do better. So this first one we got is from uh, Justin Clark, and his email is entitled "Early Thoughts and the Superman Returns." Oh, wait a minute, let me let me do that over again because that part of the letter I'm leaving out actually, where he was asking me to send him a copy. All right, let me do that over again. So our first one is from Justin Clark, and he says, "Hey Scott, it's me, Justin." Uh, I was hoping to have a few more episodes of Two True Freaks under my belt before I wrote this, but unfortunately, I'm only on episode 18. I've really enjoyed them so far. I just don't have the time to listen these days uh, that I normally do. Uh, I have really enjoyed the Star Wars ones I've listened to. I would also like to suggest some Star Wars books. I'm not sure if there are audiobooks. Um, It's the Darth Bane trilogy, Path of Destruction, 
Rule of Two, and Destiny of Evil. They're about the founding of the Sith Order as we know it, and I enjoyed them. Uh, they're not very long either. I have also uh, I have loved all the random topic episodes I've listened to when fandom turns to mental illness, and the movie score episodes were great. I'm uh, also a big fan of Tales of the Justice Society of America and can't wait to get my first episode of Back to the Bins. Thank you so much again. Uh, you are a scholar and a gentleman, sir, he says. You and Chris keep up the great work, and with any luck, I'll be caught up soon. And that's from Justin Clark. Well, thanks, Justin. Um, I don't know. I've heard good things about those Darth Bane books, but that's going way back to stuff that's even farther back beyond, like, the prequel trilogy stuff. I've only got the mildest of interest in that stuff, so... You never know when that'll change, though, because I've heard you say that before. Yeah, yeah. I'm not saying I'm disinterested, but I'd rather get caught up at this point to all of the stuff that's happened, you know, with, with the saga that I'm interested in as a whole. And then when I've exhausted that stuff and I'm finally caught up whenever, you know, that day comes, then I, I'll, I'll be interested to go back to the much earlier stuff, you know, the uh, Knights of the Old Republic era and before. But, and, and, you know, until I'm caught up with the era I'm really most interested in, you know, the uh, the Anakin through Luke stuff and, and beyond, even into like, you know, Luke's kids and Han and Leia's kids and stuff like that. Until I, I get through that stuff, I'm, I'm going to kind of skip over the, 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 you know, thousands of years ago stuff. So, but I appreciate the suggestion and uh, glad you're digging the episodes, dude. Yeah. Okay. I got one. <laughs> <laughs> it's from Joshua Tam. I, I assume it's pronounced Tam, T-H-A-M. And I don't even know if this is... <laughs> to the right gmail but here we go hi harvey my name is joshua tam i know you you were on batman the dark knight i want to know how did you survive when the half of your face is burned and when you flip the two-headed coin if the coin says head you don't kill then you flip again and the coin says tail then you kill is just only something that i want to know thank you bye joshua tam (laughs) i don't know what to say to that i would um uh, you know, I don't. Seek <laughs> help. I need to seek help. That's all I can say. There's <laughs> there's trained professionals out there who will talk to you, and they'll just make it better. At least help you make it better for yourself, Joshua. Seek seek help and and seek another movie. <laughs> you can keep listening to Two True Freaks. So <laughs> there you go. All right, what do we got next here? Okay, we've got one from John Lovett. Wasn't he married to, uh... oh, you no, mean... that's Lyle Lovett. Never mind. Yeah, you're th- well, there's John Lovett, who was on Saturday Night Live. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. So this guy's sort of a combination of him and Lyle Lovett. <laughs> that's probably he what said... he looks like, too. That's that's a horrifying thought. Oh, that is a horrifying thought. Jesus, I hope he doesn't, poor guy. Okay, so <laughs> his is entitled, Great Show. Well, thanks. Uh, just discovered your show last month after hearing it mentioned uh, on a couple of other podcasts. Oh, I wonder what other uh, podcasts. That's cool. It says, I started listening from your first episode and have made it through the first 20. <laughs> you deserve a reward, dude. So far, you haven't had a show that I haven't enjoyed. Oh, that's awesome. Like you guys, I got hooked on comics by reading Marvel Star Wars. Have the whole run in various forms, he says, and love classic Trek. 
I lived and breathed both, both as a child. I still read comics today, mostly Marvel, and keep up with the Star Wars books. It's been a blast listening to you guys mention the same scenes and panels from movies and comics that I have always loved. Don't agree with some of your opinions on movies, but that's what makes discussing them so much fun. Just wanted to say thanks for putting on such an entertaining show. I'm looking forward to getting current. Also, thanks for putting me on to The Walking Dead. I've started reading that from the beginning. Awesome. Excellent. I love that. Yeah. And that is from John Lovett. Well, thanks, John. I appreciate the email. That's awesome. All right. I've got one here from uh, David A. Pasquarella in Staten Island, New York. Hi, Scott and Chris. I just wanted to let you know that I love the show. I discovered it about four months ago when Michael Bailey mentioned it on his show. Yeah, Michael Bailey's done a lot to promote our show. Yes, he has. Since then, I've caught up on every episode and can't wait for the next one. I would like to hear you guys discuss the Philadelphia Experiment. I always Mm -hmm. found it an interesting topic. I would also support the suggestion of doing more than one issue of The Walking Dead per episode. There you go. Yep. The only criticism is that between you guys and Michael Bailey, I keep finding a larger hole in my wallet as I find myself compelled to pick up more of the materials you're discussing. <laughs> keep up the great work, and I wish you success in the years to come. See, for all the shit we download, man, we're sending people out and buying stuff, man. They I'm should be paying you. us. And, they should. Um, funny that he mentions the Philadelphia Experiment. I think in the it, it might take a little while because I really am... The, the Philadelphia experiment part, Scott and I are probably pretty much ready to go on that, but I want to do a little three-tiered uh, freak file episode where we start out with the Philadelphia experiment and then move on to the Montauk project and the Ong's hat meme or yeah. whatever thing because they're all sort of interrelated. And the, the latter two I'm a really big fan of, and I would love to try to like sort of tie some of those strings together you know to show why it's so interesting but yeah and i know you're i know you're into the philadelphia experiment too so it it will happen it will happen i actually have a notebook with notes where i'm formulating notes for that show whenever it happens but it will happen i swear to you david a pascarella and by the way i love names like that i love good you know, I'm assuming it's Italian name. I love names like that, especially like from New York City, because somebody, hey, Pescarella, <laughs> hey, shut the fuck up. I, lo- I just, I just <laughs> love last names like that. I think I've gone off about this before, but I just love people with with great last names like that, so you can call them by their last name. So anyway, yeah, <laughs> Philadelphia experiment coming up. Well, I think that wraps us up for now on uh, listener feedback. We really appreciate it. Continue to send it on, and we will do our best to address it. Thanks to everybody for writing. And we're going to take a little break and come right back with Saga of the Swamp Thing. The Saga of the Swamp Thing. All right, we're back, and we're back to Saga the Swamp Thing. We, know, we haven't covered it in a couple months, but uh, we're gonna do. We're doing a little fast forward. We're gonna do three episodes at a time, and it's this. This episode sort of wraps up this this whole weird um, Karen Clancy Harry K storyline that that we've been following, and uh, yeah. And I'm not even gonna go issue by issue. I'm just gonna give you the story of all three comics, and we'll go from there. Okay, if you remember. 
way back last time, you know, there was a big fight at the old concentration camp Dachau where we found out Harry Kay was not a Nazi. In fact, he was Jewish. He was a, a, a prisoner at Dachau and he has his tattoo on his forearm to prove it. And, uh, you know, um, we found out that there was, you know, an old uh, evil Nazi, uh, what was his name, von Rumstead, who had a had a amulet that that Karen Clancy needs to manifest her power as the evil demonic thing that she is. So I think I, it was Dagwood von von Rumstead, wasn't it? Yeah, that's right. Uh, and he makes giant sandwiches by piling all the cold cuts down his arms and holding the mustard bottle in the, <laughs> in the other hand. <laughs> okay. So af- after the fight at Dachau, we uh, um, learned that Karen's traced von Rumstead's amulet to this uh, um, old Nazi's house, who's a collector, and she's gone and uh, killed, blasted the skin off his face and stolen the amulet, which intensifies her power. And meanwhile, Paul Feldner's telling Alec uh, that that what she really is is the herald of the Antichrist, a sort of demon that comes out before the, the Antichrist does and paves the way, you know, and that there's been... If you could get rid of the herald of the Antichrist, you could thwart, you know, the Antichrist plan, and it sort of pops up every few generations or so, every 40 years or so, they say. You know, the last one they, they were pretty much hinting was Hitler. So uh, Harry Kay and Dennis, meanwhile, are getting in a fight over... You know why he still hates Harry, even though he knew he was a Jew, because he found out that he was a capo, or capo. Uh, he was a uh, a Jew who would collaborate with the Nazis in exchange for his life at a concentration camp. And Harry defends himself, saying, "You know that's his past to deal with, and you know trying to kill Karen and keep the Antichrist from manifesting is part of what he's doing to like atone for." his past crimes. So meanwhile, Karen goes back to the house where she got the amulet and uh, burns up the wife of the guy she stole the amulet from and sort of turns it into this big stone or metal looking fortress known as the Fortress of the Beast. Um, Meanwhile, Harry and his friend... You don't have to open it with a giant key though. That's the best thing about it. Right. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. but But man, the bathroom inside is just disgusting. Harry, and meanwhile, Harry and his his friends, uh, the psychic friends, we find out they're all followers of Kabbalah, like Madonna, which is an ancient, you know, Jewish mysticism branch of of their religion, and um, they're actually fashioning a golem, which is an ancient Jewish Jewish soulless creature of vengeance that is made out of clay, and they write in Hebraic letters on his head the Hebraic word for life. If and they had sang Golem, 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 I made you out of clay, this would be the coolest <laughs> If If South Park was around, then it probably would have <laughs> happened. But one thing that they don't mention in this, but is a little bit of Golem trivi- trivia that I remember from a kid, like when Golem movies were sort of in all the monster movie books, is I guess you would put a... It was like a... The Golem was almost like a computer. You would... You would put a scroll in its mouth with the instructions on what you wanted it to do. But I'm assuming since these guys are sort of psychic warriors, they just sort of psychically tell the golem what to do. So, meanwhile, they've sent the golem after Karen. That's his goal is to destroy 
you know, the Antichrist. So they send him off, and once a golem goes, it just goes in a straight line till it finds what it wants and it and kills it. So um, they use a golem to track Karen. So it tracks her to the ski villa, and uh, you know Harry Holland and the whole crew follow in in a van, and and they they see Karen there, and they sort of fight to a standstill because uh, you know the three psychics can sort of blast at her, and they got Swamp Thing fighting, and so she just takes off, and uh, the golem shows up, and it starts going after Holland because he's got the locket that Karen gave him way back. And uh, he, which he can't pull out because his roots have sort of grown over it, and it's sort of stuck into his chest. So then they, you know, they're they're fighting in this uh, mountainside ski resort, you know. So they're fighting on the slopes, and uh, finally, Alex gets the golem down. And the way you can kill a golem or stop a golem is you take the first letter off the word life on their head, which turns it into the word death, and then the golem is deanimated so that's what he does can i can i ask you something though yes in the picture where he's doing that he's taking off what to us would be the last letter so is jewish written it might be it might be read it might be read yeah right to left i'm not sure i don't i don't i do not know but i just wonder how much of a stretch it is that he would actually know that you know what i mean well, I'm getting this the strong feeling that Martin Pasco really knows either he really knows a lot about um you know the, the the Jewish religion or he did a lot of research for this Right. This no, I I mean something himself within the context of the story though. I mean would he granted, know that? he's supposed to be a smart guy and all that, but would he actually He's a doctor. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, would he actually know that you know, in, in the midst of battle? Would he stop to think, oh, wait, the first letter, you know, in, in Jewish, the first letter is going to be at the end rather well, than, you know, because even he Indiana might have Jones seen them remember something like that. He might you know? have seen them write it on his head and he might have mentally noted that they were uh, going okay. right to left. I don't know. Or, <laughs> um, well, anyway, so now now they're all they're, they're all back together and all of a sudden they hear Karen in her head sort of psychically challenging Harry to confront her. And she uses, like, his child, the church he grew up in as a child or, you know, went to as a child and said, I'll meet you here to fight just to sort of taunt him. And, uh, you know, meanwhile, Dennis is getting all frustrated because he can't find a cure for Alex's, Alex's condition where his, his cells are degrading. But he takes a break on his research to hit on Liz for a little while. And he's starting to make a little progress when uh, Grass bursts in and pulls a gun on them. And, you know, he reports back to Sunderland that he's that he's got Dennis and Liz and that he's going to try to find out where Kay and Holland are from them so he can go kill Kay and Holland for Sunderland because Sunderland Corporation wants them dead. So um, Dennis sort of uh, attacks Grasp, and when Grasp is distracted, Liz knocks him out and they escape. Which, um, so... Alex and crew, meanwhile, are fighting Karen at the church, and uh, Kay's psychics and the golem really have her on the run. The psychics are all concentrating their power on her, and the golem's, you know, beating her up. And so basically, Alex just finishes her off. He actually he grabs her and kills her. But, um, you know, at the end, uh, the three psychic warriors are also dead on the ground. And uh, so Dennis and Liz catch up with them, you know, for, after escaping, and they all leave in a car. And as they're driving away, we see um, Grasp up on a, a 
sort of ridge looking down at him with a sniper rifle and another Sunderland operative, and he's waiting to get a good shot. But, you know, while this has happened, all of a sudden, the the evil spirit that was in Karen sort of floats out of her mouth and floats into Liz, who, you know, starts speaking in Karen's voice and floating in the air. And, uh, you know, so Alex starts to fight her, and then it possesses him, but he has such strong will that, you know, he, he casts it out of him. So um, disembodied being just sort of takes over... Um, Liz again and transports them all including Grasp to its fortress to um, you know meet the, meet its master so um, you know Grasp who is you know getting ready to snipe him is is there and he's got his gun in his hand so as soon as he sees Harry he tries to shoot him but uh, once again Dennis knocks him down and they run away and everybody sort of converges in an open room where uh, the Liz demon tells him that she's going to kill them because they know that you know they know too much and they're going to hamper the Antichrist plan. And uh, then she just sort of makes Grasp disappear and she disappears. So then the demon just starts toying with everyone, making them you know hallucinate bad memories from their past, and all of them are just sort of tricks to get them running into like pits full of knives and stuff. But they you know don't fall for that and. They end up in this, like, fiery cave, hell-like place. Um, And now, you know, Karen is sort of this cloaked woman. And Liz is hanging upside down from, like, this sort of inverted cross. And and the demon has set this up because Liz now has the locket on her. And the golem, who's been following him the whole time, you know, is going to go and kill Liz because she's wearing the, the, the locket. So... Alec pulls a locket off Liz, and somehow, when he when he does this, he's absorbed some of the demon's like powers and energy, which he uses to like blast the golem into pieces with his eyes. And then we find out Grasp is actually the next Antichrist, and um, he's sort of up on a parapet. You can, know, can I ask you? Does that seem to you like that shit came completely out of left field? Like he just wanted to tie up that storyline? Yeah, yeah. Wait till we're done. I'll start tearing this shit apart <laughs> when we're when we're done. <laughs> and, okay. Uh, <laughs> and, Deal. Uh, <laughs> so he's so, so grasp is sort of you know they're on this like parapet and Harry's hanging off by one toe and you know the Antichrist has got his foot poised over the toe and of course is using this opportunity to go into a long soliloquy about how great he is and how he's gloating over he's going to kill Harry Kay and um, you know so basically just Alan or Alec shows up there and and attacks him with his new powers and just flings grasp off you know the parapet and he falls to his death and um, and basically the victory is theirs so meanwhile, Dennis, who couldn't figure out what was wrong with Swamp Thing, now has a theory that if they go back to the original swamp, that the you know the chemical makeup of that water will somehow heal him. So the next scene we sort of see uh, uh, them returning to the swamp and Alec wading in, and they're gonna see you know what happens. You know, will it will it re- regenerate him? What what's what's gonna go on? So that that wraps up that storyline. I, I, I want to sort of read a note about this now that I'm doing these sort of super super condensed, you know, Campbell's soup condensed versions of these Swamp Thing stories. Somebody <laughs> wrote, and this guy Cliff wrote, um, well, Cliff notes, how can the uh, readers digest this crap when it's when it's so 
water, watered down to the basics. And I just want to say, how can people read this crap when it's at its full, unedited glory? If, <laughs> if I really wanted to, like, when I started doing, the, you know, you almost, to, if you really want to get all the details of this comic, you almost have to transcribe, you know, page by page. what Because pa- Pasco is just putting, you know, um, narrative in every word balloon. I mean, when Swamp Thing's fighting that, you know, there's descriptive parts you could gloss over, but, you know, characters have whole expositional dialogues back and forth, and if you want to keep all the details of the story straight, you just basically should just read the comic verbatim. It's so wordy, and yes. really Pasco outdid himself in these three issues. When Swamp Thing's fighting the 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 um, golem and they're rolling down the hill, you know, the, it's like pages of dialogue just and, you know, Alec grapples with him to no avail as they tumble down and finds himself tied up in with his body and his leg. And it's just like, yeah, I see that. <laughs> I can see that on the page in the pictures. You don't have to tell me. or You know, it's like, I, I, I can't re- remember who it was that we had on, but he said it was almost as if, you know, he doesn't, I think it was Sean Rosado. He said, mm-hmm. you know, Pascal almost doesn't trust his artist to draw right. what he's describing you know and and there's a lot of that in here and if grasp is the antichrist if he's the fucking badass antichrist the master of karen who can just blast people's faces off their skulls how the hell does dennis keep just dennis a doctor who's kind of a wimp keep knocking him out and getting away from him you know well grasp- that was actually a ruse that part was a ruse because he ends up calling Oh, where the fuck did that happen? Mm. Oh, yeah, you're right. He did it I'm, so they would lead him to Alec Holland. Right, exactly. Yeah, it was. It, uh, and I thought I called bullshit on that. If Pasco this was is movie smarter than and me. And I saw that in a movie, I'd be like, oh, come on. Yeah, yeah. He was. You know? He's just. He was doing what we're doing right now. He's rapping. Just let's get this over with. Although, granted, there's a lot of like actual. He did some research, or he knows a lot about like. Or enough about Kabbalah and conspiracy theories. It, it could, but this could have been potentially really great, you know. And it should be. I was. It's funny you say that because I was. It has all the ele- you... lots of elements that make yeah. this stuff fun, you know. I'm not a religious guy, but I love religious antichrist end of the story, end of the world stories because they're wild, you know. When you, like the Omen and stuff like. I, although that's not really one of my favorite movies, but. Stuff like that is very exciting, and he's got all you know, the the Antichrist coming to enslave you know the it's big stuff they're battling with, and it all ends with grapple fights. You know, it's just basically right. they meet and fight, they meet and fight, they move on, they meet and fight, they meet and fight, and move on. You know, there's, um, <laughs> and I have a feeling that's how Alan Moore ended up on this book. <laughs> yes. Well, I mean, you know, my my history, by the way, I don't know if we mentioned it or not. This is encapsulating issues 11 through 13. Right, yeah, I didn't say that. This is, yeah, so... You know, Martin Pascal, we've we've given him some crap in our shows from time to time because of some of the turkeys he's written. There was that one issue of Marvel Star Trek that was just god-awful with like gnomes and shit. But he's not a bad writer at all. He's, He's actually written some really good stuff. But this is like you say it's got all the ingredients to be a good story and it's just not 
I mean, 11's not bad where Swamp Thing fights the Golem. But the problem is, to me, is even reading this as a kid when it was new coming out, I quickly realized that Swamp Thing was becoming a background character in his own yes. title. Yes. This is more about Harry Kay and his demons and, and his fight against the end of the world. That's okay. And That's okay by me, too, but make it fascinating. You know what I mean? But, yeah, I guess. But, I mean, this feels a lot like, you know, when, when Swamp Thing... You know, after his original series was canceled, he drifted around for a bit. And one of the places he wound up in was uh, Challengers of the Unknown, where Uh he was just a member of that team as they went from like wacky adventure to wacky adventure. This feels a lot like that. Once again, you've got a team of misfits. You know, you got the reporter woman, you got the doctor, you got the, you know, the the ex-Nazi collaborator. You've got the psychic freaks and all that stuff. You've got the Herald of the Antichrist. And then, oh, yeah, by the way, Swamp Thing's thrown into it. Well, that's fine on something like Challengers of the Unknown, but this is Swamp he's Thing's He's basically the golem. Cool. He's basically the golem in this. He, he's just like the golem. He's a big lumbering creature that's brought out he's, to grapple fight with what, whoever the monster is when he's like things the have Chewbacca to be revol- of the resolved. T- yeah, well, he's like the Chewbacca of the team rather than the star of the book, which is what he's supposed to be. It's his name that's on the cover of it. But there, there's just, you know, I, I didn't mind the golem part in, in, you know, through number 11, but that was the last issue of this that I really enjoyed. Because um, once we got into the reveal in number 12 of exactly what was going on. <laughs> it's just like, as come it, on. And, and then it's, yeah, and then it's just over. It's one of those things is like, okay, here's what's happening. Oh, they beat him up in one. Right. Yeah. If, yeah. If there's one fight that you would think would be pretty intense and pretty hard to come out on top, it would be the fight against, you know, the Antichrist and Satan and all that. And it's pretty much like, oh, yeah, let me use this magic amulet. OK, done. And it's like, what? Well, what, one, so, one thing that sped me up also with reviewing these books and encapsulating them is usually the first four pages. There's usually four pages in each book catching you up onto what's going on so you actually know right. what the hell's going on from month to month. So there was a lot of that. And there was also another thing I didn't mention. There was a lot of religious philosophy banding back and forth, especially from the demon was saying, you know, it was saying a lot of potentially interesting things about religion and you guys got religion all wrong and someday your science will understand what this is. But, you know, right now... and just sort of gobbledy, you know, sort of gobbledy gook stuff, which could be really good, <laughs> but it's not good, you know, it's just sort of thrown in there. That's why I didn't really even mention it, because it had nothing to do with the story. It was maybe some ideas of Pasco's that he had or something, you know, or he didn't right. want it to be overtly religious or, or something and wanted to work it also into, you know, the science realm or this, I don't know. But there was a lot of that going on, and it's just, yeah. I'm glad that I'm glad that particular storyline is over. To tell well, you the truth, it, it must not get much better because it wasn't long after this as a kid that I I dropped the book. You know, a couple issues after, and I'm actually surprised I made it through this because one of the things I still that started love the art, with, the covers on all oh, of yeah, these the are art's awesome, fantastic. especially yeah. number thirteen where he's facing a many-headed beast and with souls being tortured in the background. It's great, you know? And well, that that lends into what 
what one of the biggest reasons I, I dropped the book at the, I was afraid my mother was going to find this. <laughs> right. You know, let's see what year is this, this year, this is 83. So I was 15 and this was right at the height of my mom really, really, really getting into right. the Pentecostal, you know, cause she, she converted from uh, Catholicism to the Pentecostal uh, denomination, you know, when I was probably right around this age. It's about defeating the Antichrist, though, at least. Right, it, it is, but I remember it being was salty really for its time that, for a kid's yeah, comic. It was. It doesn't seem that way now, but at the time, yeah, it was. It was pretty heady stuff, and it it, it made me have a, a. It made me feel dirty. You know what I mean? Like I was reading something I shouldn't have been reading at my age. You know, here was this story about you know the devil and 666 and antichrist and all this right at a time when my mother was really getting into all that you know through her her newfound religion and yeah it made me nervous it made me nervous that there was a big fight brewing if she found out i was reading this shit you know so that had a lot to do with why i ended up walking away from from the book not to mention the fact you know, I just don't think it's a very good story. I, I, I like what he was going for, sort of. But probably the biggest thing that puts me off of this, though, um, I didn't like that the, that it involved the little girl. I really wish that this had been some sort of tale of... But they always, you see, they knew that, too, because they always stressed. After after a point, they were like, it's not, she's not a real little girl. You know, I think when he started writing it, it was a little girl, you know. And then right. he was like, I don't know if the little girl, the, you know, the girl and his dog, or in her dog story with Swamp Thing is the way to go. So then she became a sexy demon woman. But, right. and, and and that set up any, you know, Alec doesn't want to kill her at several points because he still thinks of her as a little girl, but, you know, he has to be reminded that she's not human at all. Yeah, but it's just kind of, yeah. That, I yeah. mean, nowadays it would fly. Back then it was a little sketchy. And, uh, well, I don't know. I think you made the best point about Swamp Thing not being front and center and I think that's what Pascal's really struggling with is what to do with him and right. that's why Alan Moore saved this book because he put Swamp Thing front and center he said okay what do I have to do to make this character interesting what do I have to do to make you know this, the storylines work through him and make them new and interesting instead of just like here's a monster and uh, Swamp Thing's going to fight him. Although he does bring back stuff from the past. He, right. he puts that twist on it. So that's 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 what... It needs something. And, uh, you know... And I, I hope people... I ho- I'm, I'm hoping... Uh, well, I'm hoping... I, I will give my personal guarantee that, I'll, that the next six issues of Swamp Thing will at least be entertaining to listen to us talk about, <laughs> if not to read <laughs> themselves. And and then we'll, and then I promise you we'll get to the juicy, candy coated, cream filled, Alan Moore stuff, which will be a dream and a delight every issue. And Scott and I will be like little fucking cherubs on a cloud, riding unicorns and celebrating <laughs> every issue. 
That's about all I got to say about it. Yeah, that's about, <laughs> about all I got to say about it, too. I'm, I'm glad to be past this story, to be perfectly honest with you. So thank you for an excellent encapsulization there, Mr. Honeywell. Thank you very much. And we'll be right back with The Walking Dead. The Walking Dead. hey we are back! Yes! You like my Ed McMahon? No? No. Okay, fuck You it. gotta remember how, because we're, we're coming off of that really creepy Walking Dead, and then it comes back to, hey oh <laughs> Yes, sir. <laughs> yes. You are correct, sir. Alright, I entitle this, ep even though the issues often don't have titles, I'm gonna title this one, The Shit Hits the Fan. Again! <laughs> and we're doing Walking Dead number 15. And if you remember the end of Walking Dead 14, they, they, they're all in the... They've, they've found their way to a prison, and they're all sort of living there. And we find out Tyrese's daughter and um, her boyfriend, Chris, have had a suicide pact going for a while. And it went horribly wrong, where she blew her brains out, but he didn't have the guts to to blow his brains out and Tyrese finds this whole mess and he's cradling his dead daughter when she comes back to life and tries to chew his face off so that's where we are at episode uh, 15 so uh, Tyrese who's you know stricken with grief is sitting there Rick's there also and um, you know he's holding off his daughter and he's telling Rick you know if I could just talk to her I can you know get my daughter back you know I can I can reason with her and Rick's and you know Rick is just having a standoff with him basically saying nope we gotta shoot her in the head so um Chris sort of solves this problem the, the boyfriend by just shooting Julie in the head and Tyrese immediately just chokes the life out of him and says to Rick that uh He's going to hang around and wait for Chris to come back and kill him again, but <laughs> not so pretty. So Rick runs out and tells the rest of the group, who are all gathered around and alarmed at the gunshots, that uh, the two have killed each other in a suicide pact and doesn't really tell them about the, the rest of the incident with Ty Tyrese. And then goes to bed and lies wide-eyed all night, you know, thinking... And, uh, you know, of course he realizes with, um, with Julie, Tyrese's daughter, at this point, everybody who's become a zombie has become a zombie because they were bitten, but she just died. She just got a bullet in her head and it, or, you know, or shot herself. And then a few minutes later came back. So then he realizes, you know, everybody, anybody who dies is coming back as a zombie. So, um. So he bugs out and gets on his bad motor scooter and rides. Tells everybody he's got a, you know, a mission to go to. And he ends up going back to uh, where he buried Shane, way back there. The guy who tried to kill him because he was wanted Rick's wife. So, and Shane was Rick's best friend. And so he's been thinking, you know, I killed Shane. but And he wasn't bitten and buried him, but knows that he's now a zombie. So he digs him up and has a little talk to him, you know, and gets a little bit out of his system and then shoots his reanimated ass right in the head. So, um, meanwhile, Glenn and Maggie are wandering around the, uh, 
the prison, they discover the prison barber shop, and after a little uh, barber chair nookie, they give each other a haircut. And uh, when they go back out into the prison yard, Herschel's youngest girls, these two twins, Rachel and Susie, see them, and they're like, well, I want a haircut too. So Maggie says, all right, I'll take you down to the barber shop. So um, meanwhile, Tyrese just sort of grabs Glenn and says, hey, you know, uh, you know, I, I've been looking to use the gym. Why don't we go there and clean out all the zombies in there so we have the gym to use? And uh, Glenn says, okay, and they go get Andrea, who's good with a gun, and Billy, uh, Herschel's son, to go help clean out the gym. So they get there and they start, they're, they're, you know, in formation shooting zombies and they realize that they're vastly outnumbered and, uh, you know, they start to retreat. But Tyrese just sort of wades into the zombies and they just engulf him and uh, the rest are overwhelmed and they have to leave and close the door, uh, you know, leaving Tyrese just in a literally like in the middle of a pile of zombies. So, um... Meanwhile, Herschel's, you know, wandering through the prison. He's looking for his two little twin daughters who have been gone for a little longer than he thought. And uh, he ends up in the barber shop and looks down on the floor and they're laying on the floor both with their heads chopped off. End of issue 15. So, Jesus Christ. Yeah, that's a wicked... This is one of the most powerful endings, I think, to any issue. Well, because it's one of the endings where there's there's carnage in it, and you, when you see that carnage, you know at that point that wasn't no zombie. <laughs> right. Yeah. There's a person killing people here, and that's insane. You know, they're locked up in a prison with somebody who wants to chop the heads off little kids. So, yeah, yeah uh, boy, you know, it's uh, I, Kirkman just sets it up. Ah, oh, they're in the prison. They're safe, and you know. All the prisoners are pretty, you know, seem pretty, I don't want to say friendly, but they seem pretty benign. You know, one of them right. has identified himself as a murderer, but it was one of those, like, crimes of passion. He killed his his girlfriend or his wife and her lover or something like that. Right. So, and, and you know, there's a, there's a corporate criminal and, you know, some s- drug dealers and stuff like that. So, yeah, just... Oh my god, how much how much trauma can you pack into one? I mean, at this point we're at number 15, you know, and at this point the comic is is currently up to number 70. And uh this is one of those big up the ante issues right here. Right. Where this is this is really one of the uh, the first times where Kirkman does that whole like calm you down, slow down the story, and then just nail you out of the blue. And he nails you with so many things in this one, you know. There's the whole scene with Tyrese and his daughter, and, you know, if you think about that, that's enough to give you something to chew on for a whole issue of a comic. Or to give Tyrese something to to chew on. And, you know, and I, I love how, you know, the next day Tyrese is like, hey, let's go to the gym. And, you know, this is after his daughter's died in a suicide pact and and granted everybody's lost somebody or been traumatized but god damn your daughter you know and and uh you know and uh, nobody seems suspicious of this but at the same time it's kind of weird that Tyrese would 
you know, I'd be like laying in my cell in a fetal position for a couple days and at le- and just feeling sorry for myself at least. But you know, maybe Tyrese is a he-man and he's covering it up or whatever. But then it turns into it looks like it's suicide by zombies, you know? And, right. Yeah. Which sort of explains why he was doing that, which is that's pretty intense because Tyrese is a pretty has been introduced as a pretty rough and uh, strong character. So that packs quite a punch. And then you throw a couple beheadings on top of it as just sort of like cucumber on top of the salad. And oh, my (laughs) God. Yeah, it's intense. It is seriously intense because there's no downtime at all. It's it's boom, 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 one thing after another in a place where they're supposed to be safe. And and I realized I just we we discussed our format of this and I was saying no, I'll I'll do I'll do the summation of episode fifteen and then you you do sixteen and then we'll talk about them but man it's hard it's it was hard not to talk about it you know after just reading that because you realize holy shit <laughs> right well one one thing I, I wanted to point out in this is at the beginning you had said when they had their little suicide pact that she blew her brains out but I think she actually d- didn't. They were supposed to pull the trigger on each other. On each other. Right? And, and, and he, he shot pull... her in the chest or something right. like that. Right. He didn't shoot her in yeah. the head or she wouldn't be coming back. You're right. Right. And, uh, and th- yeah, that's right. They, they, I think they p- both had the, the guns on each other and he d- he pulled the trigger and she didn't or he pulled the trigger too early or something. But right. not that it matters because... He's, he's I just didn't want to too. leave the, re- the yeah. listeners confused as to wait a minute. No, she shot herself in the head. How did she come back? So I was right. just, just clarifying. My mistake. <laughs> well, on to number 16. This one picks up with uh, Rick headed back to the prison and he sees how many zombies are out and about and it kind of freaks him out a little bit. Back at the prison, Maggie's walking along and she finds her father just collapsed and sobbing to a point where he can't even talk and she's like oh my god what's happened and all he can do is point and she looks into the barber shop and sees her sisters laying there uh, beheaded and it just you know they, the two of them lose it completely but then the heads reanimate they can't come after them they can't hurt them but they're bad they're zombies they're basically just zombie heads and they're making their gurgling noises and there's zombie noises and it totally freaks out Herschel and Maggie. Uh, back in the gymnasium, uh, the group retreats and they uh, are reluctantly forced to leave Tyrese behind, uh, you know, in there, just surrounded by all these zombies. We get a great scene of Rick's wife and what is that girl's name again? I can't, I can't ever remember this girl's name. Which girl is it? The, the one that she's in the shower with, it's it's Rick's wife, Lori, and then what is the, the other woman's name? It's not Andrea. I can't remember. No. Um, oh, damn, what the hell is her name? It's uh, Tyrese's girlfriend. Right. I'll just say I'll just say Tyrese. So meanwhile, we get a great scene in the uh, prison shower with Lori, Rick's wife, and Tyrese's girlfriend, and they're having a little conversation. Can I just interrupt here? It's just very rare that you hear people say, then we get a great scene in the prison shower. And it's (laughs) it's one that involves naked women, too, so it's just a very very strange prison shower scene. It's awesome. (laughs) And the 
the prisoner who's the the biker looking the big biker looking dude he runs through the shower to get a good look at him it's really cool and he's like oh i'm sorry i didn't know anybody was in there i swear but he did he totally axel. knew they yeah. were in there yeah axel that's his name and he runs along i love axel <laughs> and <laughs> yeah yeah he's a cool character and he comes across Damn it! I need a uh, like a player guide for all the people in this. They used I to print them the in the comics, and, and when it. I when I did this when I did this summation, I had to dig through my comics and find the first issue that had that in there to get some of the names right. Because yeah, there's a reason he started printing those because there's just so many characters, and some of them actually look a lot alike. There's subtle differences yeah. in it, so it's just hard to keep track all the time. So the. Uh... So Axel goes, and as he's headed back to his cell, uh, he comes across the uh, the little skinny black prisoner. I can't remember what the hell this guy's name is. And he tells him, you know, hey, by the way, you know, Lori and, uh, oh, Carol, that's her name. Carol are uh, in the shower. You know, they're all wet and soapy. It's a mighty fine sight. Might want to go check it out. And he says, you know, well, you know, ever since uh, Dexter, who's the uh, the other one of the other prisoners, the big black guy, says ever since, you know, we got locked up in here, we kind of, you know, we, we caught the gay for each other and everything. And we don't go that way anymore. And Axel just tells him, you know, that uh, it, it may not be that way anymore, dude. You know, now there's women around and uh, Dexter, right. you know, might swing back and, you know, you, you better be prepared for that. And uh, Andrew is the guy's name. He says, uh, it ain't like that. You don't know what you're talking about. He's like, all right, well, whatever. I'm going to go work out this mental image, he says. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Well, that's a very, just very realistic (laughs) prison prison little story right there. You know, that's, (laughs) that that, that little soap opera probably plays out quite a bit in, in the prisons across the country. So Glenn and Andrea... And uh, Herschel's remaining son come walking out of the prison, and they're all visibly shaken. And Lori and Carol are like, you know, what's wrong with you guys? And Carol realizes very quickly, you know, where's Tyrese? And Glenn, you know, reluctantly tells them that, you know, what happened, that he got surrounded. He just waded into these zombies, and they had to leave him there. There was nothing that they could do for him. And at this point, while they're all crying and they're all very upset, Dexter comes out and is, you know, basically, you know, what's wrong with all you guys? And uh, Carol's really, uh, or excuse me, Lori rather, really gives him a dirty look. And Glenn and, uh, what the hell is Herschel's? That doesn't matter. So Glenn goes looking for Maggie and finds her with her father. And he's like, I love his, the look on him. He's just like, oh, fuck, what now? And then he sees the uh, decapitated little girls and their zombie heads, and uh, he shoots the both of them to, you know, put them down. We fast forward in time a little bit to where Lori comes stomping in to uh, Andrew and Dexter's uh, cell room, apartment, whatever you want to call it. And she confronts him about murdering the little girls. And... Dexter denies the whole thing. You know, he says he doesn't know what she's talking about and that, you know, she needs to get out of his face and all this. But Dale holds a shotgun on him and they lock him up. And we get a little brief scene between uh, 
Carol and Lori where uh, Carol tries to put the moves on Lori, which I thought was, again, a very realistic scene, a little weird, but... Uh, yeah, it was a realistic crazy girl scene. That's yeah. when you start realizing <laughs> that she's a little bit crazy, you know, yeah. or there, there's, she, something's gone wrong. Yeah, something's not right with her. There's a tender moment between uh, Andrea and Dale as well where... Uh, you know, Dale is starting to show some insecurities about the fact that he's so much older than Andrea. You know, she's really just probably a, what, teenager, maybe early 20s. I'm thinking she's like 21, 22, somewhere around there. And he's in like his late 50s, early 60s, something like that. They they mentioned it in a previous issue, but I forget. Anyway, Rick finally gets back and immediately um, Glenn gives him the bad news on everything that's gone on, you know, both with the little girls and with Tyrese and Rick is like I want to see the body you know are you absolutely sure that he's dead you know take me to him so they go they open up the door to the gym and miracle of miracles Tyrese is alive he actually took out all of the zombies and he's just sitting in this pool of gore and blood and guts and zombie bodies and everything and somehow he had managed to not only survive, but to take all the zombies out and at least we're assuming anyway, not be bitten. So uh, Rick is reunited with his family and Tyrese is reunited with Carol and they go and uh, Rick goes and confronts Dexter, you know, and wants to basically, he just wants to know, did you do it? Dexter denies the entire thing. Rick tells him, you know, if I find out you did it, I'm going to beat you to death. And Dexter's like, you know, yeah, that's big talk from you. You know, why don't you come in here and say that? Which, in one of my favorite scenes of any issue of Walking Dead, Rick actually unlocks the door and opens it up and and basically calls his bluff. Okay, here I am. And Dexter doesn't That's Rick. <laughs> yeah, it's excellent. I really like it. Because Dexter's fucking huge. You know, he's a great big guy. But Rick doesn't back down. Rick, you know, when he says, you know, come come on in here, I dare you. Rick takes that dare. I love it. It's really cool. We get a brief scene of Alan and his little boys are all crying and upset and begging him not to die. And he's giving them a speech about how everybody dies and, you know, don't be upset. And, you know, we don't want it to hurt and all that. And it's weird because Rick walks right by the cell where all this is going on. But evidently he's so caught up in other things that he doesn't really pay attention to the conversation. He really should catch this moment because this is good insight into the fact that Alan has lost it. He's wigging out and Rick proceeds to the cell where Herschel and his small remaining family are. And Herschel is visibly just shell shocked and Rick can do nothing but just tell him, you know, that he's sorry and he can't even look at him when he says it. And so it's a really sad scene get a little more uh, interplay between Rick and uh, Tyrese and Ty- you know Rick is really upset and, and concerned for his friend and in the final scene we see Andrea has gone to the laundry room to uh, to gather some more clothes and um, Thomas comes in who is the last prisoner the guy who was uh, convicted for some sort of business fraud type of thing and she asks him you know are are you here to help me and he says you know or she says do you want to help and he says not particularly no and she's kind of gets on his case I thought this was a very realistic bit of dialogue as well she's like well you know if you're not here to help then why are you here 
and on the very last page great splash page where he uh shows this just gigantic freaking knife and he says so i could cut your head off and i was like yikes well we know who the murderer is now and yeah and now that i can talk about it there's been, there were a couple clues you know in in earlier episodes in the last issue he sort of you sort of see him wandering off after the two you know you see him noticing the little girls going there and and wandering off and i can't remember there was a bit of dialogue a few issues back that just sort of belied that there was something creepy about him right you know and you know maybe i'm starting to think it think he wasn't put in there for corporate crime you know and right and maybe he was you know they had him in solitary and stuff so the other inmates don't know what he was in there for because you know if he was a predator killer those people are usually not treated very well in prison the other inmates usually hold them in low regard to say the least so so yeah so wow and meanwhile then you know now you've got some potential uh um bad blood going on with with the with the two black guys who get accused of you know it's like <laughs> once once they you know once once the dust settles it's the chubby white corporate guy who is cutting right. everybody's heads off but look who's in the prison cell you know look yeah that's definitely gonna cell. come yeah that comes back up as well that's that's a very good i like that plot point yeah so i mean Man, Kirkman in these two issues, he's just crammed so much stuff in it. And this, <clears throat> comics readers, is the exact opposite of what fucking Pascal does. There's a million things crammed into both these books, <laughs> and Kirkman makes it work, and he makes it actually very powerful without being. It is overwhelming, actually, but it's supposed to be. And he makes it work. Whereas Pascal just makes a mess. So, man, yeah, it's just... Poor Marty Pascal. Uh, (laughs) You're judging him just on that one storyline. He is a good writer. That's just not his best. Well, when when I'm talking about that, I'm talking about, you know, directly those last three issues that we just did in this very show. Because, (laughs) hey, you know, Marty, you win some, you lose some. You know what I'm saying? Can't win them all. I love the cover on number 16. I think this is one of the best covers in the series. Because it, it's just, oh my god, this is nightmare inducing. Because it's just these really, really rotted, torn up, scary looking zombies at a chain link fence. And it's like they're clawing, trying to get at you, the reader. Yeah. And they're just all messed up. There's one with like maggots and flies coming out of its eyes there's another one it's it's there's a great big gaping wound in its arm that has all these maggots and flies all over it it's just oh man it's disturbing yeah and it's just one of the it's like the, it's really funny because it's not a cover that pertains directly to anything that's going on in the story it's just like a reminder it's just right like, oh yeah but Meanwhile, outside the gates, you know, and, and you get that view as if you were one of the people that the the prisoners, <laughs> they're now all they're, they're they're really prisoners now. They've actually taken the extra step and actually moved into a prison. 
But you know that it's the saying. You know, all this is all this fucked upness is going on, but this is right outside the. You know, they're trapped inside with all this craziness going on, and outside are <laughs> the maggot-infested buddies. I like the fuck fucked upness. Is that what you call it? Yeah. I love that. I'm going to use that from now on. Okay. <laughs> now here's a real nitpick for you, but it just kind of jumped out at me this time reading it in issue 15. And the pages are not numbered, but it's more or less right in the middle of the book. When Rick sets out on his little mission that he doesn't tell anybody about, and we don't find out until a little bit later, there's a shot of him actually on his bike driving out, and the gates are wide open. And granted, all of this could have happened in the gutters where somebody actually went, opened the gate, stood by the gate while he left, and then closed the gate behind him. I'm assuming that's what happened, yet that's not what's shown. I mean, it, it shows him driving out, and it looks like everybody else is back by the prison door. You know, so it just gives the impression that the gate's standing wide open, and it was just, it's just kind of a nitpick. Yeah, it's it? just a little weird, yeah. Yeah, it's a little clunky, I thought. Uh, maybe they just like that image of him going through a wide open gate. I mean, really, somebody would just open a crack and enough to get their motorcycle through and go right through it. That's what I would do. But right, it's, it's doesn't. I'm. It, it, it wouldn't be visually probably as as striking as somebody pulling out with the gates open wide. I like where this is going, though. I, I love. There's the little the cover tease for next time that just shows. Rick and it looks like he's punching something. It, and you, the perspective shot is that he's punching us, the reader, and his fists are all bloodied, and he's got this ma- maniacal look on his face, and it just says, "Next issue, Rick snaps." <laughs> love where it's going. We've been waiting for that. That's been, been a oh, long yeah. time coming, and it won't be the first time, and it won't be the last. It will I be the first it, time. I want to put it to the listeners at this point. I, I think we've pretty much. We've got an idea what we want to do at this point, but I really want to solicit um, listener participation in this. Um, what do you want these segments with The Walking Dead to be? Do you want us to do more fast forwards like this? You know, several issues, a couple issues, great big story arcs, you know, trying to, you know, do you want us to, to race as fast as we can to get to the, the current stuff or... You know, what, what pace would the listeners like us to go at? So I want to know that because uh, I like the idea of fast forwards. I like the idea of getting to more current issues and more current storylines. But Well, we had this I, conversation with Greencapped a, a few days ago where mm-hmm. it was like, you, can't, you know, we can discuss these, but we don't want to spoil ahead. But we know right. what's happening ahead. And right. There's a lot of really interesting things to discuss. But here's the thing. We can't speculate at all. We can't right. go, where do we think this is going? What do we think it's doing? You know, I don't know. This is really losing me. This could really, you know, it's it doesn't have that immediacy. So myself personally, I'm eager to catch up. I'd like to be doing a month by month of the new up, new issue of Walking Dead and talking about it fresh. I would too. So, but I don't, I also don't want to gloss over anything too much. So we'll. Yeah, t- tell us tell us what you think, and uh, and we'll get we'll get it there somehow. We're working on it already, so <laughs> help well, us that, to uh, help you. <laughs> I hope that you uh, you guys uh, enjoyed this episode. We had a lot of fun doing it, and uh, join us again next month for more 
fast forward on uh, Saga the Swamp Thing and uh, more Walking Dead and just more comic goodness. Uh, in the meantime, you can uh, drop us some email. You can check us out on the forum. You can uh, meet up with me on Facebook. I'm on there quite a little bit lately. And uh, come back and see us next week for what do we got? Next week. Ooh, well, we got a big surprise next yeah, week. Yeah, we got, we got a couple. Yeah, it, this is a bonus Monday month. So there's five Mondays in in March. So we're g- after this episode, we'll have two just two true freaks special episodes, and we've got one of them in the can that I'm really looking for. That's the one that'll come out next week, and I'm really looking forward to that that one. I'm I, I it's a it's different. It's a different definitely a different episode for us. A different idea. And uh, we had a lot of fun doing it. I had a lot of fun yeah. editing it. Was was actually really novel to do. So that's coming next week. And uh, and then after that, there's even another one with uh, which I have not edited it yet, but it is in the <laughs> in the can, and uh, that has a guest on it. And we talk about a famous movie franchise. All right, before we go, we've got a birthday wish to little Georgie Kerstick of Los Angeles, California. Georgie will be somewhere around 38 years old this week. On Tuesday, more specifically, Georgie's the winner of the Saturn Award for his Clone Wars writing, and he's written many, many comic books, and he's a producer and director. Good work, little Georgie, and happy birthday. Visit our website at twotruefreaks.libson.com. Twotruefreaks.libson.com is spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S dot Libson, which is L-I-B-S-Y-N dot com. You can email Two True Freaks directly at twotruefreaks at gmail.com. You can find me, Scott Gardner, both on Twitter and Facebook. My name is spelled S-C-O-T-T. G-A-R-D-N-E-R. Two True Freaks is a very proud member of the League of Comic Book Podcasts. For more information, visit comicbooknoise.com slash league. We are also members of the Comics Podcast Network. You can check it out at www.comicspodcast.com, where you can hear our new episodes when we put them up. Thanks for listening. Join us every Monday for new episodes of Two True Freaks.
Future Freaks has been brought to you today by DeManzo Corps of Milan, Italy, and by the letters F and U.